Definitively Speaking is a definitive healthcare podcast series recorded and produced in Framingham, Massachusetts. To learn more about healthcare commercial intelligence, please visit us at definitivehc.com. Hello, and welcome to Definitively Speaking, the podcast where we have data-driven conversations on the current state of healthcare. I'm Justin Steinman, Chief Marketing Officer at Definitive Healthcare, and your host for this podcast. Okay, this just in. Drug development is expensive and fraught with risk. Wait, wait, don't go anywhere. I know this isn't exactly a revolutionary insight. But just because it isn't revolutionary doesn't make it any less real or important. The holy grail of drug development is to make it faster, cheaper, and less risky, all while maintaining the highest standard of patient safety. But what if I told you there was another way? My guest today, Dr. Nayan Kalnad, has just that. It's called digital therapeutics. What's a digital therapeutic, you might be asking yourself? Well, essentially, it's an alternative to using a drug, or a digital therapeutic can be delivered alongside a drug to make it more effective. Either way, it helps improve patient care and lowers costs exactly what we're looking for in healthcare today. A trained doctor, Nyan spent years working in product development at Johnson & Johnson, all the time wondering if there was just a better way to do it. So he took the entrepreneurial leap and started Avigen Health to help bend the cost curve in value-based care by building a platform for digital therapeutics, or DTX for short. According to their website, Avigen builds transformative digital health products that empower patients to take control of their health. Health Machine is Avigen's cloud-based condition-agnostic product development platform for launching evidence-based, scalable, and secure digital health products. Nyan is based in London at Avigen's headquarters, but he joins me today from his company's development offices in Pune, India, cool 10 and a half hours ahead of me. So it's 8 a.m. here and 6.30 p.m. there. So Nyan, good evening. Welcome to Definitively Speaking. We're happy to have you here, and I appreciate you taking time out of your dinner hour well, I have my first cup of coffee of the day. Hello, Justin. Uh, thank you for having me on, on the show. And I guess in this global world, we we span the world, right? So Absolutely. Looking forward to our conversation. That's great. Great. So let's start by following up something I mentioned in the introduction. You left a safe, secure job at J&J to go bootstrap a startup. Why? I mean, you could have gone and been in private practice as a doctor. You could have stayed at J&J. Instead, you took this monumental risk. What made you so passionate about this problem that you were literally willing to risk your career and make the leap? Excellent question. And it's, it's something that I, you know, I always wonder about. And I think being a physician, you know, you go into medicine because you want to support patients. You want to help patients lead healthier and more fulfilling lives. And uh, for me, I think the aha moment was, you know, I was working on developing drugs and I used to speak to a lot of specialist consultants and especially in HIV because that, that was the work that I was doing at that time. And a lot of them would tell me that, uh, Nayan, it's not that sometimes we need more dr new drugs. What we need is a way for us to support our, support our patients. And so I asked, what do you mean? And they said, you know, sometimes we see 200 patients a day. And a lot of the patients that come to us, they probably might not need to come to us, but they come because they, they are sometimes not aware of what to do with, with the particular disease or with a particular symptom that they, are, that they are facing. So if there is a way for us to educate them on how to live better with the disease, provide them support closer to where they live, that will be extremely beneficial, 
not just for these patients have better quality of life, but also for us, because then we can actually focus our time and effort on the patients who really need our support. And uh, so at that time, you know, I was I was working in drug de development and then I ended up speaking to a colleague of mine who works in digital technology. And he said, hey, look, why don't we solve this using technology? Because technology has created this. So we actually developed our first quote-unquote digital therapeutic using interactive voice response system. It was fairly successful. But then what we realized is that if I have to truly do this and fulfill the promise, I needed to do it in a, in a smaller setup because large companies are great at scaling innovations, but sometimes not necessarily at, at the early stage of innovation, especially for something that was not the norm at that time. So that's what sort of pushed me to say, hey, if I'm if I truly believe that digital technology can increase the increase access to good quality care globally i had to take the leap and it's been eight years and i don't think i've regretted one one moment at all about taking that leap so eight years that means you left there in 2015 is that right yes that's right yeah and did you try to do this in j and j and they were just like no thank you go go figure it out yourself no, in fact, I actually started this journey in J&J. We, we did it for like four or five years along with a few other colleagues and we had good success. But Johnson & Johnson is a you know, healthcare product company. They know how to do devices really well. They know how to do drugs really well. But digital was something very novel at that time. So we needed to sort of be in a in a, in a smaller setting to experiment, to iterate, understand what works and what doesn't work. But a lot of the thinking that we do at Avgen and the processes that we follow is based on my experience at a company like Johnson & Johnson, which does drug development, development really, really well. Got it. And so you've been at this for eight years. How's it going? You know, it has its ups and downs. Entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurship is never a you know straight straight line. Uh, the successes, I think, sometimes make up for for some of the disappointments. Uh, we've had our you know uh, learning learning moments. We've had our pivots, but in the last, I would say, two to three years, I think we seem to have uh, we we seem to have hit our groove. And what today we have around fourteen different digital health products, ranging all the way from products for mental health so treating depression paranoia to also supporting patients who have hiv or tu tuberculosis and across these products we have more than 1.3 million downloads around 900,000 registered users more than 20% of them are active active monthly we work with some of the leading pharmaceutical companies in the world so i would say that you know it's it's been it's been a challenging enriching but overall a very satisfying 8 years so this is good you started to get a little bit into kind of what this is so i mentioned it in my intro but can you define i'm sure you can do this better than i can uh what is a digital therapeutic can you define that for our listeners Happy to. As a physician, when I have a patient in front of me and I decide to prescribe to the patient, today my option is I generally prescribe a drug, a chemical entity, you know, that they either inject or that they swallow and it changes physiological mechanisms in the body and therefore you know prevents a disease or treats treats a disease. But we also know that a lot of long-term conditions that uh, humans have. So for example, diabetes can also be influenced by 
behavior. So for example, you can actually control diabetes by you know, changing your nutritional habits or by increasing your physical activity. Now, in the past, as a, as a physician, what I would tell them is, you know, why don't you lose weight? Or, you know, why don't you change your diet, have a Mediterranean diet? But for a user, like, how do I actually implement this? You know, what does that mean? And so what we are now able to do using software is actually educate the patient about, hey, you know, this is the diet that you should be taking, potentially monitor their glucose and give them recommendations on you know, you're doing well, or these are the food material that, that you can avoid. In, in a sense, you can achieve the same clinical outcomes that you would with the, with the pill using software. And that is what fundamentally digital therapeutics are. These are essentially software products, which are, which are a new modality of treatment paradigm. And either they could be prescribed independently, or most often it gets prescribed along with the pill so that overall the effectiveness is much, much more. And so is this something like they it, it, it live on my iPhone and then I'd have an external glucose monitor that kind of feeds data into my iPhone? It, it could be a mobile application on your iPhone. It could even be a, a chatbot on your instant messenger. Uh, it could be augmented reality software, which changes your interpretation of the world. So these are essentially software, software products that can stay on your phone, on your instant messenger, on your virtual, virtual reality handset in the future. So we're going like the metaverse here? Possibly, possibly. I mean, wh why not, right? Why not? Because, like, let's take the example of paranoia, right? You know, in paranoia, the way you look at a situation and the way I, uh, a patient with paranoia looks at a situation might be completely different. Now, if you put them in a metaverse where you expose them to different sort of stimulus, the way they interpret that situation probably normalizes. So, you know, in, in maybe five, 10 years, maybe not that far, you, you'll actually have products which sit in the metaverse where you go and say, okay, this is where I'm going to deal with my, you know, anxiety. So very possible. Got it. Let, let's make a note for my producer that we got to get Mark Zuckerberg on this podcast and the next episode or two. <laughs> so uh, how big is the market for digital therapeutics? The, the forecast is that it is, it's, it's in the hundreds of billions. Uh, what you see is that companies, there are other companies, especially in the U.S., who have also got regulatory approval for these products. So we have products for treating opioid addiction. We have products for treating insomnia. Uh, we have products for treating uh, obesity. So these are the regulators are actually paying more, much more attention to this modality of treatment. And we have a lot of products coming into the market in, in Germany. Uh, the regulator there has approved close to, I think, 35 digital digital therapeutics for various various ind indications and the the forecast is that this might be as big as what today the market for drug drugs is so, really mm -hmm. as big as drugs i mean that's like a billions and billions and trillions of dollars of revenue exactly i mean that's that's the that's the hope that you know the these sort of this becomes part of our treatment practice. It's not a novel thing. When you go to a doctor, the doctor actually says, you know, I want you to take this drug and I'm also prescribing this digital therapeutic to you. Got it. So it's really a whole different paradigm. And how do you get physicians educated on this and get them to realize that they've got to prescribe both the drug and the digital therapeutic or just the therapeutic without the drug? How do you, this is a new concept. How do you get physicians on board? 
with i think with any novel technology you know it 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 follows essentially the same curve what's what's happened is that there are a lot of physicians who have realized that digital therapeutics could be a new modality of treatment and these are the early adopters and what we've also seen is that some of them also have ideas on how or what could be a digital digital therapeutic and one of the ways that we are trying to help this space is by making it a lot more easier to develop safe and high quality high quality digital products and these physicians who are sort of like the early pioneers they are educating their colleagues and their peers on what digital therapeutics could be doing that's that's one and the second one is the the insurance providers so the payers are now starting to incorporate digital therapeutics into their formularies and there are there are value based payments being put in place there are you know risk based contracts being put in place where the the payer is actually encouraging their prescribers to prescribe digital therapeutics so i think it's it's early days but i have been in this sector since 2008 and i i would say in the last 3 4 years we have seen a significant uptake and understanding amongst healthcare providers on how digital products can actually be used for supporting and treating treating patients got it got it so you're you're a real pioneer in this space huh i hope so so, <laughs> <laughs> so but you're also a startup so you got like less than 100 people working for you probably right you're a small company yes. so that means you probably have a very small sales force and in this multi-billion trillion dollar market who are you selling to are you, you can't be covering physicians are you going to the payers are you going to the health systems are you going to the drug manufacturers who are you talking to excellent question and you're absolutely right i think for a for a small company like ours we cannot invest in having a, a team that just focuses on market access and getting getting prescription so we have taken a slightly different approach what we have done is that our partners are generally big pharmaceutical companies right who actually have figured out this part of the the value chain so they know how to increase awareness they know how to get the physicians to endorse these products and prescribe the products but their challenge has been how do you actually develop these develop these products because you know if it is going to take 2 years to develop the product it's it becomes very expensive then they are not as interested so what we have done with our pharmaceutical partners is that we we manufacture the digital health product while they are essentially responsible for the marketing of these of these digital health products so it it is a it's a very symbiotic relationship we do what we are really good at which is build digital health products and validate it and improve it over time and they do what they are really good at which is actually promote these digital health products to the prescribers yeah so you're almost like a a back end product development pr- platform right exactly we are a back end product development platform who understands how to build these products and make sure that the users actually use these products yes absolutely Got it. So let's actually go down to like brass tacks here and walk our listeners uh-huh. through how how this works, right? So pick one of your companies. You can keep them blinded. I sure. don't want to, you know, unless you want to talk about them publicly and tell us like what the condition they came to you with, where the gap in the digital therapeutic was and what you're actually doing for them and then some of the results that the customers have had. Almost like a mini case study if you will. Sure. Uh absolutely so one of the companies that that came to us they were actually quite interested in a very rare indication i think all in all of europe there are probably like 8000 patients with this with this particular rare disease and what, the gap that they identified in the 
in the patient care is that most patients would end up staying on the first-line treatment. Uh, I think more than 70% of the patients would stay on first-line treatment. And the the patients would never move to second line because risk stratification was not being done on a regular basis. And the clinician would ask the patient, hey, how are you feeling? The patient says, I'm fine. And that's where the story would end. So when, when the pharma, the pharmaceutical company looked at this space, they said, how can we make sure that the patients actually get risk stratified objectively a lot more frequently? Because we know that if the patient actually gets onto the second line drug, then their lifespan actually increases. So, uh, so they came to us with that sort of problem statement, like, okay, how can we solve this, right? Can we solve this using a digital health product? So what we did is we actually conceptualized a product whose intended aim is to get the patient to track their vitals a lot more frequently and share these vitals with the, with the clinician. And the expectation is that then the clinician will know, is this patient worsening? And if this patient is worsening, then I need to get a more formal sort of risk stratification done. And then if indicated, then put the patient on the second line medication or the third line medication. So this product is currently 5% of the patients who have this indication in Europe are using this product. We have had more than 2000 uh, reports that have been shared with the with the physician. And we estimate that most of them would have then led to a, a more clinically oriented risk stratification. We are yet to see if there has been an impact in the long-term outcomes outcomes for the patient, but we feel fairly confident that given the, the historical sort of research that the company had done, there is a very high chance that it has led to actually better outcomes for the patient, which has actually increased uh, lifespan. So, Got it. And this is a prescribed drug, so uh, administered in a prescription. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I also think from talking to you, you work with over-the-counter, right, OTC? Yeah. What's the difference? How, how do you get an OTC drug? You know, I walk to my local CVS. I can buy a drug. I'm not necessarily getting a digital therapeutic with it. How does that work? Yeah. And I think OTC, actually, there is a lot more opportunity because if you look at an OTC company, right, I mean, these are drugs which have been there for a very long time. They're already considered safe. So, for example, we, we, we're working with a company which has a drug for diarrhea, right? And now the when you speak to the patients, what the patients are actually saying is that I want to understand what triggers my diarrhea, right? And now... What we have done with that company is actually build a product which where the uh, where the patient actually enters the enters the food that they take on an ongoing basis and also the events, so the diarrheal events. And then using a model, we are actually able to correlate and then suggest to the patient that, hey, you know, these are the foods that are triggering. These are the foods that you should avoid. These are the foods that you can have as much of. And these are the these are the foods that we are still undecided, undecided about now. You give that sort of insight to the patient, but at the same time, if the patient realizes that, you know, it, it could these are the times when I should be taking a medication, then the the company that we work for is obviously that that would benefit. So in that instance, they have taken a fairly mature mature medication, added on a product or or a service to the medication, and now they're giving a much more comprehensive solution solu solution to the patient. So that's an example of what we can do for the OTC manufacturers. 
And is this like on the back of the box? Like go to the website and like enter the information? It's literally, I mean, I'm like, how do like I access this? So uh, that's how it will most likely end up being. So either you go to their website and you can just you know scan a scan a QR code and download the download the app, or it will be on the box on the box itself. This is fascinating. This is fascinating. Let, let's shift to another kind of area. A, a, a key area for or a key question for pharmaceutical companies is off patent growth, right? Right. The big sweet spot, obviously, for any pharmaceutical companies, you've gotten FDA approved and you've got the patent. There's a commercial advantage. You've almost got exclusivity. Right. But then the time comes and it's inevitable when you're off patent and generics enter the market, but uh, you still got you still got revenue targets you got to hit, right? Yeah. So I guess my question to you is where can growth come after you're off patent, but still a prescribed drug? And actually, a lot of times our focus area, uh, we focus a lot on that space because if if you look at most generics, you know, it just becomes a commodity sort of play, right? It's like the lowest cost wins. Now that could work for like pure play generic companies, but for there's a tier of companies who want to ensure that they have price premium. Now, how do they actually get that price premium? And so what we have seen is that when we speak to uh, our counterparts in these pharmaceutical companies, what they are looking for is differentiation present like front of mind for the for the prescribers right and when they speak to the speak to these physicians what they say is that hey can you help me reduce my total cost of care right and that that could be by being a more complete solutions provider so rather than just looking at you know uptake of the uptake of the medicine can you actually help me educate the patient about the side effects with this drug Right. Because sometimes patients stop taking a drug because they have side effects. But if they just stick with it, it actually it actually works. So what a lot of these companies are doing is is going beyond the pill and then supporting the payers or the healthcare providers and providing them a much more comprehensive solution, which essentially bends the bends the cost curve. So they can still charge a premium, right? And not not just be the, the cheapest drug on the market. And maintain that price 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 differential, which otherwise would not exist. Got it. So you hit a, you hit a number of topics there that I kind of want to dig a little bit more into. And, and you know, I guess mm-hmm. we've talked about value based care and healthcare delivery models. And a big theme of this podcast, I talk about a lot of my different guests. Is you know the current method of healthcare delivery and is it sustainable? And how do we live in this world? I feel like we're, we're always at an inflection point in healthcare. But I feel like even now, you know, coming out of COVID, I'm maybe even more of an inflection point. So my question to you as, you know, a doctor and a digital therapeutics expert, and we'll call you a digital therapeutics expert. I can make that call right here. You know, is the current model of healthcare delivery sustainable? In short, no. I mean, there's no way, right? We already see countries, and you obviously are in the US, so you, you, you've seen it firsthand, I live in UK and we see countries which are already spending a significant proportion of their GDP on healthcare. I think UK spends close to 12%, right? And right now we are going through a situation where we have healthcare workers who are are striking because the government is refusing to give them above inflation pay rises. Now, the reason the government is not doing it is because there is there's no money in in the bank to to pay this. So if we continue with the current model, as the population ages, this way of doing healthcare is just completely uns- unsustainable. And that's where I think we have that opportunity for technology. Because if you look at every other sector, technology has actually brought down the unit cost of delivery. 
except in healthcare for the longest time. And I think that's that's the opportunity that, I think that, that we have that can we actually, like other sectors, use technology to not compromise on the quality of care a person receives, actually give them better quality of care, but at a lower, but but at a lower cost. That's the only way I think we can we can go ahead. We have to. So, but you made an interesting comment there. You said technology has lowered the cost in every industry but healthcare. Mm-hmm. I actually agree with that statement. Yeah. But I've also been working in healthcare technology for 20 years. And I feel like I've been saying that I spent, you know, seven or eight years selling EMR software. Back Obamacare, meaningful use. You know, the favorite has everyone who has PTSD for meaningful use. But we've been trying to implement technology in healthcare now for 20 plus years. And yet you're right. We still haven't bent the cost curve. So what's so different? What are we doing wrong? How do we fix it? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like two, three years back, I think there was a point of time when I had become cynical. I'm like, this is not going to happen. Like, you know, it's been a decade I'm at this. And every place that I go, it's like, oh, technology, we don't want it. It's not going to work. I think the the big game changer was COVID. COVID just changed the dynamic, right? Before COVID, when... I or even other a lot of my other colleagues who work in digital would go and pitch digital solutions to either healthcare providers or payers. We had to convince them about why why this is even relevant. But COVID actually made us look at alternative ways of delivering care. So, for example, we have a deployment uh, in in London with the largest HIV center, where prior to COVID we were doing a pilot with hundred patients. When COVID hit, because we were already in the hospital, they said, hey, can we use your technology to triage the patients without them having to come to the clinic? So we only bring patients to the clinic who really, really need to come to the clinic. And overnight, they used the technology to do, do, to do the clinical triage. Only the patients who needed to come in came in, and the rest were still supported at their, at their homes. And today, they have around 8,000 patients on their list. More than 5,000 patients are being managed using using the digital health solution that that we put in place. So today, I think what's happening is that COVID made people see the possibilities with with using technology. So in this particular clinic now, they're able to give good quality of care. The waiting time has gone down from more than six months to less than eight weeks. And so clearly, they've improved the outcome, the quality, and they've not added on like, you know, another 20 staff to get to that reduction in the in the in the waiting time. I guess there are always silver linings. I think the one good thing, if at all, that came out of the pandemic was just an acceptance that we as society, we have to leverage digital products. And that's the only way, only way to go. And we actually grew during COVID by two times because it just changed the dynamic. I mean, everybody was like, OK, we, we want to do this. Can we do it quickly? Can we de- deploy it? So rather than why, they started speaking about how. And that, I think, is the big change. Yeah. And so the question coming out of COVID is is whether that change will stick. I agree with you. COVID changed a lot of things. And, you know, so I think some cases like webcams, right? Before, you know, right. COVID, when I was on a conference call, that was still audio and I wouldn't care about everybody. And now post-COVID, everybody's a webcam. All of our conference calls are, quote, in person again, looking into a camera. We've all become very comfortable with that. I think that change will stay. On the flip side, you hear about all like the home goods retailers and the people who, you know, we're all locked at home and they've refurnished their home. And now, you know, 
we're out of our homes and home furnishing companies are all falling off a cliff, you know, laying off people, stock price going down, whatever. What gives you confidence that this technology adoption from COVID is going to stick in healthcare and that we're not going to revert back? I think we'll know a definitive answer maybe in a year or so. But what gives me the confidence is my experience before COVID. One of the key challenges when we would implement digital solutions is that it would never get integrated into the into routine care. It was always considered a novelty, right? It's like, oh, we are trying this out. It might work, it might not work, but this is not how we work. What happened during COVID, I think these digital products became the way they did their work. So for example, you know, this clinic now, the standard of care is that the patient actually gets a push notification saying that, hey, we want to check on how you're doing. Can you please complete this, you know, pre-visit questionnaire? And then we will get back to you and ask you if you need to come into the hospital or not. That's their standard practice. And that I don't think they will not go back to a situation where it is not their standard practice. So that's what gives me the confidence that the, the change in the pathway that we we were desperate for actually before COVID, COVID actually catalyzed it. And it's very hard for them to now go back to and go back and say that, oh, you know what, we will not use this. We will, the, the same inertia that stopped us with the uptake is going to be the same thing that will make sure that digital actually stays as part of the way care is being delivered. Well, I, I selfishly hope that you are right, but time will tell. I can't wait to see. So yeah. last big question before I let you go today, right? So Avagen's a digital therapeutic platform company. I think we got that. I've learned a lot about digital therapeutics today, so thank you for teaching me. But I honestly feel like there are a million digital healthcare companies out there today, right? I feel like every VC venture capitalist has a dozen or more in his or her portfolio. And then you got big pharma building their own as well. Are we reaching a point of saturation or even oversaturation with all these digital health tools? In short, yes, but I think that is what the sector needs because at the end of the day, it is going to be survival of the fittest. And if we have more experimentation, more people trying to use these products to to deliver value-based healthcare, we will have a few, we'll have a few winners. And for us as a company, I think that's what we are trying to do. We are like, you know, in, in healthcare, it should be relatively easier, relatively cost efficient to bring these products to the market. We have to validate it in patients and the best of the lot should flourish, should scale. Rather than limiting that innovation to, you know, the, the only the companies or only the companies with deep pockets, what we're trying to do is actually democratize the, the building of these digital health products. Because if you go back into history in drug, you know, it was much easier to bring a drug to the market probably 30 years back, 30, 40 years back, right? And obviously, it's, it's the good ones that have stood the test of time. And I think that's what we are seeing in digital today. We, we have a lot of products in the market, which is excellent, right? Because all of us are trying different ways of solving the same problem. Some of them will benefit the benefit the patients, will bend the cost curve. And I think those are the ones that we want overall as a society to, to succeed. But as a patient, we're going to have to figure out how to manage that for them. Because Look, I take a bunch of pills every night, right? And I'm brushing my teeth. I, you know, throw a bunch of pills, swallow them, and it's like five seconds out of my day. But if I'm on seven digital therapeutics, I don't want to be spending all my day punch, 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 punch. Okay, that one's done. Punch, 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 punch. That one's done, right? So how do we make this better for the patient so that their user experience, because ultimately that's what's going to drive adoption, right? 
Yeah. How do we make this better for the patient? In two ways. I think one is that's where the regulators come in, right? Because what they are what they're trying to do is make sure that uh, you know, when I started in 2008, there were so many like not so serious digital health product manufacturers. I mean, they just put something in them out in the world and see what 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 sticks and what doesn't stick. And I think what regulators are bringing in is principles that companies like us and others need to need to manage. So the quality of the product is good, and it is most importantly it is safe, right? So that's the first thing. And the second one is I think. Look, really focusing on user experience and that is where integration integration comes in so for example we have a module where we don't need the patient to do double entry of the data we integrate with the with the mobile product that they are already using or mobile application that they are already using so we pull the information that is required for the functioning functioning of our product so so i think the the key will be focus on the patient's experience Make sure that it is safe. It is safe for the patient, and then what will happen is that the patients will also select the ones that actually work for them. So, for example, we have a product for uh, pregnant mothers, which is I think one of the top ten apps that get downloaded in India. And when we speak to the speak to the end users, they say we compared a few. We compared like you know three, four, and we preferred what you have and that's why we have stuck with you so as long as i think we we focus on the fact that the product is safe and it it, it is it gives it makes for good user experience i think those are the products that will st- stand the test of time got it well now and i appreciate and admire your entrepreneur's passion i can't wait to see where this is going to go with digital therapeutics <laughs> thanks a lot justin hopefully we'll make a dent in society Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And for our listeners out there, thank you as always for listening to Definitively Speaking, a definitive healthcare podcast. Please join me next time for a conversation with Rachel Schiff from IntelliCare, a healthcare workforce management platform. IntelliCare uses AI to match healthcare facilities with nursing professionals in an on-demand environment. Rachel and I will cover the current state of the hospital workforce and how things may change and evolve during 2023. I certainly hope you'll join us for that conversation. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about how healthcare commercial intelligence can support your business, please follow us on Twitter at DefinitiveHC or visit us at DefinitiveHC.com. Until next time, take care, stay healthy, and I'll see you in the metaverse. Metaverse.